Welcome to the show, everyone. This is a stakeholder-centered coaching production where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. Today's episode is another installment in the series Conversations with Coaches, where our top coaches share the behind-the-scenes unfoldings of their career. The goal of this series is to give you an intimate peek behind the curtain so that you can see the messy ingredients that go into building a successful coaching career and the rewards that come at the end of the tunnel for those who are willing to put in the effort. I'm your host, Brandon Murgard, and if you'd like to ask a question or recommend a guest, send me an email to podcast at mgscc.net. My guest today is an SCC master coach and has been a recovering banker for 20 plus years. She partners with businesses, executives, leaders, and teams to achieve measurable leadership change through practical applications resulting in accelerated and sustainable growth. And she's also the host of her own podcast, Business Vitality. Please welcome my guest, the wonderful Catherine Canty. Great to have you on the show, Catherine. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and you know what, Catherine? Um, unfortunately, we are not giving out popularity awards today, but I do <laughs> want you to know that if, if, if we were, you would be a very strong contender. Um, when I was pitching the show to the first draft list of four to five guests, I asked each of them to recommend a person they think should be invited. And your name came up quite frequently. So not only is it an honor to get to have this conversation with you, but you know, I'm also filled with enthusiastic anticipation to share with our listeners precisely why you came so highly recommended. So uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover with you, Catherine. Let's get right into the first question. Um, and we've had some giggles on the show with this one. Uh, the question was posed by Emily Chipman in an earlier episode, uh, and she she wanted to talk about how do you describe what you do to your mother? So imagine that I'm an uninformed person on coaching. How do you describe what it is that you do? It's a great question, and I want to first acknowledge I'm a little nervous because I don't know what stories you heard about me before this. So I'll just go ahead and preface that. So I'm a little nervous about it, but I know Kimberly is a wonderful person. So um, I know we chatted about her before. I've loved getting to work with her and get to know her. So mm -hmm. I hope it's I hope it's somewhat favorable. Um, yes. So back to the question. If I were to explain what in the world I'm doing right now, if my mother asked, um, first, I I know she's a high school algebra teacher, so she's been doing that for 30, 40 years, and she's helped get a lot of kids over the finish line to get those algebra problems finished. And so I would try to relate with her and say, you know how you teach you teach the kids to be able to get through math? Um, I would probably then use some of that language of I'm, I'm teaching professionals on how to go from being not just a manager, but to being a more effective leader. And... Um, we would probably talk a little bit about that. And I can't help but think about a story. My my bug guy, the guy that comes in and sprays my house for bugs, because I live in the South. We got big bugs here. Um, so he comes by and he's like, what do you do all day? Like, I see you around here sometimes and sometimes you're gone. What do you do all day? I said, well, Doug, this is what I do. You know, you have all those people that are calling you all day long and they can't get the job done and they're driving you crazy and they they just can't 
they can't deliver like what you really need them to do. He was like, yeah, they drive me nuts all day long. I said, I work with those people and I fix them. And then they don't have to keep calling you all day long. He said, oh man, I need to hire you because we need help because we need more <laughs> leaders in this in this bug company. And I'm like, call me when you're ready, but you can only call me if you're actually ready to start doing some of this work. And so of course the phone rings, he gets sidetracked and drives off. So um, those are two different examples of me just trying to attempt to explain what it is that we get to do. Oh, that's so funny. I like, I like how you describe it to the bug guy. Uh, when, yeah. when leaders reach out to you for coaching or organizations ask you what it is that you do, do you describe that somewhat similarly or do you use a different approach? I love to listen to what they're seeing in the workplace. And if I can hear their language and be able to capture what it is that they're seeing and they're feeling. Just yesterday, I was on the phone with somebody and I said, tell me what's going on. And I always lead off with, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's see if I can even help because I may or may not be able to help depending on what the needs are. And yesterday's conversation, it, it came from a, an introduction through something else. And we just scheduled a, a 30, 45 minute call. And I said, can you just tell me what's going on? And she just dumped for a good 20 minutes of like everything that's going on. And I was like, wow, you know, that that's a lot, but this is what I'm hearing. And you want to be able to improve open communication, transparency, reduce the silos in the organization. You're somewhat new CEO and you need to be able to really bridge communications. And she said, yes, that's what I need to do. I said, okay, so you have a team of X and if you could get these folks to be able to really bridge the conversations and not feel so territorial, would that, would that make your life a little bit easier? She said, that's what I need all day long. So is your chairman on board with this? She said, oh yeah, he's got my back. He'll come in any day that we need him to. And I said, this is fantastic. So let's, let's, you know, implement a few solutions here. Let's talk about a few things. And we walked through it and, um, and she said, yeah, this is, this is what we need. I said, how committed are you to creating this change? She said, I'm a five out of a five. I said, well, that, you know, checking the marks. And, um, you know, next question was when you want to start. And she said, you know, April 30th. And I said, okay, let's see what we can do. So um, really listening first to what they have to say before I even start talking is what allows me to understand what are we talking about um, and, and where do we go from there? Fascinating. So you ask, you listen, and then you use some of that same language to describe what it is that you do and the effects that you can bring specifically within their context. Exactly. I love the ask, listen, thank, the alt key. And I, I joke with the clients that I work with to the left and to the right of the space bar on most computers, not Macs, but most computers is the alt key. And I would explain to them when I was in corporate, which I spent 20 plus years in corporate, we would go in meetings and sometimes like you're just in this hamster wheel conversation and we're not going anywhere. And I thought, oh man, like I'm stuck and I got nothing that's going to bring value and we're not going anywhere. And I remembered looking down and also remembering all of Marshall's training it's, and Frank's trainings and Chris's trainings and all these amazing books and going back to ask, listen, thank. And I looked at my computer because we've all been in these meetings where you're just kind of like staring out the window and then you're staring at the keyboard and you're staring at your phone. But I saw on the keyboard is the ask, listen, thank button to the left and to the right of the space bar. And it's kind of like having two ears and one mouth. The mouth is the space bar and the two ears are the, the alt keys on both sides. And I teach this with a lot of my clients. I said, you know, when you feel like you're stuck in a meeting, Remember, look down on that on that keyboard and you probably have ask, listen, thank. And just remember that that prompt is there in front of you at all times. And if you feel stuck, ask a simple question. 
try not to argue with them. Just listen to what the answers are and simply say thank you. And so um, I feel like it's in front of us and there's, there's, there's reminders all around us when we choose to remember that that they're there. So the ask, listen, thank process is, is just a beautiful process if we have the courage to be able to use it. Oh, yeah. And that's the tough part is having that courage. Um, yeah. Tell me how you got into this, Catherine. What, what, let's start with what were you doing before you actually became a coach? Yeah, I was a, a banker for 20 plus years. I started out as a bank teller and um, had a, a great opportunity to go into a, um, I guess it was a, a regional bank, community bank, um, and grew the business for them and um, did that for 12 years, started out in South Carolina and then managed to um, expand the role to the, the territory, which was five states. Did that for 12 years and transitioned into a different type of bank, which is all about agriculture and rural communities, which we have a ton of those around the country that nobody really realizes that, you know, they're the guys that are and women that are feeding us and, and keeping us clothed and happy and not hangry all the time. And so I pivoted and went over there for about seven years. And I knew that when I got married, I knew we got married young, 22 I was 22 and he was 23. And I told him, I said, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be in corporate for a good 20 years. And then I'm, I'm out and it's going to be your turn. And I married a serial entrepreneur and, uh, he's over there starting up lots of businesses and experimenting with a lot of different things. And I saw him having fun and experimenting and learning. And, and he's just got this great business brain. I said, you got 20 years, two decades, to figure this out. I'm going to corporate. I'm going to love it. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I'm going to travel 60% of the time. I loved every minute of it. I met the most amazing people and had, you know, great business dinners and great just partnerships and all this wonderful stuff. And then the, the 20 years came and I came home and I said, my 20 years are up. Are you ready? He said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm turning my notice in. He said, no, you're not. I said, oh yeah, I am. I'm totally going to turn in my notice. He was like, well, we need to talk about this. I was like, I've been talking about it for 20 years. You can ask my maid of honor at the wedding. She said, I remember this. You always said 20 years and then you're going to retire. And my idea of retirement is I just get to choose what I'm going to do. Not necessarily go work for another bank. And um, so anyway, there's more stories around that. But basically 20 years ago, I knew that I was going to pivot and and come home and and let my husband know that it's been great, it's been wonderful, and it's time for me to be able to go do my thing, and he can go and and provide the four hundred one k and the the health benefits and everything else that that come along with uh, the stability of that wonderful corporate wow. environment. Wow! <laughs> so you you saw this twenty years in advance, huh? I saw it even before then. Yeah. Oh, that's why, and it doesn't sound like he took it quite as seriously as you did until, until D-Day came, huh? <laughs> um, he, I, mean, I think he knew it in the back of your mind. If you, I'm, if you ever manifested something like you just, you, you study it. I feel like over my career, I've been able to manifest these positions and opportunities that have come my way. And I wasn't sure what it was going to be at the end of the 20 years, but I just knew that if I kept making connections and kept talking to people and just kept paying it forward and helping other people when the day came, I'm not going to know exactly what it is I'm going to do, but I'm just going to keep paying it forward and helping others. Cause I mean, I would not be here 
without any of these folks that have helped me along the way. And, and so this is, this is my way of being able to pay it back because of everybody who's helped me. And, um, I just, I knew that the day would come. I wasn't sure what exactly it was going to be. And, um, I had some practice. So probably three years, two or three years before I even left corporate, I hired a coach and well, I probably talked about it three years before I hired a coach, probably two years before and kind of work through some of that mental, you know, it's a big shift to go from corporate into entrepreneurism. Um, and that's all you've known. And even though I live with a guy that, and, and married to this guy that is a serial entrepreneur, like it's just not the same as like when you're doing it yourself. And so um, I spent, you know, a year thinking about it and then a year working with a coach. And then that last year it was, know, building my website and creating the newsletter and knowing that I'm just going to make a bunch of mistakes, but it doesn't matter because I still have the day job and it doesn't matter because I don't have a following and it doesn't matter because like, all I know is that tomorrow is going to be better than today because I'm going to figure something out at the end of today that's going to make tomorrow better and just trusting that process to be able to do that. So, um, even though I didn't know exactly where we were going or what we were doing, I just, I had to kind of trust, trust that feeling that I want to keep growing. I don't know how else to do it, but it's time for me to go out on my own. Wow. So you had a 20 year, not not necessarily a vision, you had a 20 year direction with a finish line that after 20 years, I'm doing something different. At what point in these 20 years did you start formulating the idea, I'm going to become a coach? I think it became clear in my corporate career because I spent so much time with business owners and I spent so much time with CEOs in the C-suite level. And even as my positions grew within the company, I was always one step away from the CEO. There was always my manager reported directly to the CEO um, or the chairman or whoever it was going to be. And so having those high level strategic conversations and not getting bogged down to the detail, but knowing who is handling the details and who's got the day-to-day -day operations to be able to to plan at that top level and talk strategy, like that's where I thought it was the most fun. And I just enjoyed it. And I loved strategizing. I loved um, kind of playing the different scenarios with the CEOs, with their leadership team, understanding all the political dynamics that are going on within the company, with the vendors, with, um, and, you know, I think of it as, as three different legs of the stool. You've got the boardroom that has the vision. You've got um, the sales and the front line which where the customers are, that's, I mean, you don't have a business without the customers. And then you have backroom operations and they can either make you or break you. They can tell you what they can and can't do. And so over 20 years, I really understood what these roles of these, what these um, departments were creating and how they were supporting business, like big business anywhere. Um, I was at a, a $30 billion bank all the way up. We were within a $300 billion system. So like you want to talk about politics and, and just kind of like the dynamics that are going on. We've all been in the boardrooms and we can watch the eyes go across the table and all the, the things that are not being said and the side conversations. And, you know, that that's just part of what the world is. And so you begin to see it and you begin to see what motivates people, what languages they're using. And it's just, a, for me, I think that's, that's a lot of fun to be able to, to be in those rooms and really not say a whole lot, but just observe and be that sounding board. And as I kind of went through that, especially the last seven years, 
you know, it I just thought, well, gosh, you know, we're brainstorming, we're strategizing, we're doing board facilitations, we're doing um, staffing events, retreats, re-energizing people to get them motivated again. We're trying to do more with less. Um, coaching just seemed like a natural fit. And then from there, it was just like, okay, this is fun. This is creating change. And everything I've ever done has always been about creating change, positive change. Um, and so all these, these, these bricks kind of fell into place. And, and before long, you know, we had a, a bit of a path that I could follow and just see where it was going to take me next. That's kind of a long answer. Mm, it, was, it was wonderful. And so is that the point where you hired this coach to help you get all of this started? Or did that coach come in partway through this, this piece of the journey? So I did, I spent 20, I think it was 23 years in corporate in the last three years last two years was with a coach. Mm -hmm. And, um, prior to that, and even during that time frame, it was always working with, with the C-level folks. It was always working with that leadership team. Um, the great thing about banking is everybody needs money and it opens up doors. And so I was on, I've always kind of been where I guess other people didn't want to play. And so I was on the cash side of the banking. And so people have to keep a lot of cash in their accounts to be able to write a lot of checks. And so I worked on the the technology side of that, the relationship building side of that. And we created a lot of processes um, where we had a proposal team that um, did probably close to three or 3,000 proposals over 10 years. And we were able to create a 90% success rate year over year wow. for those deals, which was, it made it a lot of fun. But you also learn to capture language and you learn to capture what the operations center is going to allow us to do. And you also learn what the strategic vision is for the bank and does it align um, with what we're selling to the customer? Because a lot of times I would go listen to the customer and hear what the needs were and then come back to operations to find out if it was possible and then re-verify with, um, with the C-suite team and, and the board to say, okay, is this where we want to go? And um, get creative with stuff that we already had and create solutions based off of that. So. Um, I've got a, a product that comes to mind. It was back in, I think it was 2007, 2006. I was at a, um, at a banker school meeting learning, and I heard about this thing called Promotory um, Financial and Cedars. And what they ended up doing is they had over 2,000 banks across the country, and they could all offer FDIC insurance, $100,000 at all these banks. And we worked a lot with government accounts, and you have to provide collateral on these things. And what we did, um, they were um, allowed to book $100,000 at each one of these banks and, and do millions of dollars of basically kind of free collateral because you could book it out to the, to the different banks. And at the time, we had 42 charters with the company that I was working at. So we had 42 ways to book $100,000. And so we worked with this particular company and we were able to get approval from the regulators to be able to offer at the time $4.2 million of FDIC insurance with one single deposit, which is a big deal for the bank because they didn't have to go buy a bunch of collateral to offset these deposits that the government accounts had to have. And so um, by working with them, also understanding backroom operations of what the systems can and can't do, we're able to leverage systems that were already in place, keep it uber simple and uh, be able to issue one receipt, book it out and um, allocate it out and help grow deposits at these local community banks um, in a manner that was already being proven by a much bigger institution, um, but be able to, to keep the income and keep the deposits within this particular bank we were at. 
Um, we were able to do that by listening to the customer, being able to understand what the strategic vision is for the bank, and most importantly, understand what operations could and couldn't do to solve for that problem. So um, just listening, a lot of listening to a lot of people and trying to connect the dots is um, something that I love to be able to do. You strike me quite as a, a systems thinker. Do you bring that kind of thinking into your coaching as well? Oh yeah. I love the systems and the processes. And, um, you know, part of, part of going out on your own, you realize you can't do this all by yourself, nor do you want mm -hmm. to do all this by yourself. And so in the beginning, I, I hired a, um, one of the babysitters and, you know, she's going off to college, but I need her for the summer. And I was like, here, you can watch my son for a little bit, but I really need you to do some of this other stuff. And so I would teach her how to do some of this day-to-day -day stuff that I didn't want to do. And, um, it just got to be too detail oriented and, it just wasn't a good use of my time. So I'd teach her how to do it and she would jot it all down. And, and from day one, we created, you know, SOPs or statement, you know, processes to be able to, to be able to do this and, um, standard operating procedures. And so, you know, even from day one, uber simple stuff, but when she went to college, I was able to take the same SOP and be able to post it out there and hire someone to be able to do this. And, um, to this day, I'm, I'm constantly, all right, let's update the SOPs on how are we going to handle, you know, newsletter distributions or posting or um, events that we may host, like let's document all this stuff and it's a living document. And as we change things, let's keep changing. Um, that same type mindset obviously goes into the coaching and, and a lot of the clients that I work with, they they rehire me and they're, and I ask why. And they're like, you just have a process. You have the enrollment book that you've created based off all this amazing stuff that I've learned from all of you guys and, and Marshall and all of his wonderful, talented people. Um, you know, being able to just create some handouts that, you know, we all use, but I just tailor it to the way that I present. And so we've got this onboarding book. We've got supporting materials that they need to turn into me at least once a month to make sure that they're actually going out there and doing the work. Um, we've got check-in processes. So it's very, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a rinse and repeat, but it's also tailored to fit their needs. Um, even yesterday, speaking with somebody, their needs were a little bit different than somebody else's needs. And so we tweak just a little bit to be able to tailor to fit what it is their ultimate goal is that they're trying to accomplish. But I love a system and a process. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's definitely room for us to potentially do another episode in the future about what your <clears throat> what SOPs are running your your business because it sounds like you've got some flexible systems that run the same system or you have the same operating system with some slightly different applications or use cases that can be um, modified. But coming back to your, you, you've got a 20 to 23 year uh, runway. Somewhere along the way in the fourth quarter, you you start gravitating towards coaching, given your experience and your your field of view at work. Um, at what point did did you become um, introduced to Marshall Goldsmith or his material during this time? Great question. Um, the book, What Got You Here, Won't Get You There. Love the book read the book. I was like, this is just good stuff. I love it. Um, and then I remember we have in my world away from work, I've renovated probably over a dozen houses. And so at the time, um, I remember we were in a rental at the time and, and my husband was gone. I don't know where he was for the night, but, um, I was sitting on the couch and I started listening to this podcast and this was, gosh, this was probably 
10, at least 10 years ago. And I'm sitting on the couch and I'm listening to this podcast and it's this woman. And I'm like, oh, she sounds great. Like I need to meet this person. And I'm sure you know her. Her name's Whitney Johnson. And I met Whitney. So I listened to this podcast interview. It was on the Elevate Network. And she's telling her story of how she went from being a banker to a coach and, and talking about the S-curve and disruption. And, and I was like, oh, I love this. Like, I have been on that S-curve so many times. I like, I live on the S-curve. So I'm like totally relating to this podcast. And I've done this a few times in my life. I'm like, I just, I want to meet this person. Like, how do I reach out to this person? And let's just take a shot because you don't know if you never take a shot. So I remember sitting on this couch and I typed the longest email and I just shared my heart. Like I just shared, I can relate. I've been in banking. I love it. I just know there's more. We need more disruption, you know, in this, in this industry because there's so much opportunity, but we're also just kind of stuck where we are and um, gave some examples in there. And I probably just talked way too much about just this journey that I've been on. And I said, you know, if there's ever an opportunity for you to come in and do some work at the bank, I would, I would love to connect. And so um, long story short, she ends up flying in from Virginia to meet with us. She um, flew into the Charlotte airport. She met with my CEO at the time. We had a, a large technology rollout. She came in, consulted, put together a plan. And before that, I was at a lunch, just like a lunch and learn within the bank. And this, I'm the one that goes and sits with the CEO because nobody else will go sit with them. And so I go sit with them. And um, I'm like, what are you working on? He was like, I got this big technology rollout. I got to find a good speaker. I was like, I got somebody. And I mean, we had only chatted on email, but I was like, I got somebody. And he was like, all right, well, let me know. And so that's when I reached out to her. She flew in and um, got an Uber from Charlotte 10 years ago. You nobody could even get an Uber, but she managed to get an Uber to convince this person to drive an hour and a half south into South Carolina. I was like, there is no way she's going to get back because she's got no car. We have no Uber in South Carolina, but okay. So we meet and um, we meet with the CEO and and he's diagramming out all this stuff. And she's totally in sync with this whole thing. Like, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like in the room with the two of these really smart people. And um, he was like, all right, we'll put, put a plan together and let me know. And so I'm like, perfect. So we walk out and Whitney's like, well, I guess I'll just call my Uber. And I'm like, there's no Uber around here, but I was like, okay. So she was like, you know, you can't get an Uber. I was like, huh, that's weird. So, um, I said, um, do you, do you need a ride to the airport? She was like, are you, do you live near the airport? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I live real close to the airport. I live like an hour and 15 minutes away from the airport. She didn't know that. So for like an hour and 15 minutes, I had this time with Whitney in the car going to the airport. And so I started learning about her work and just asking questions, tons of listening, um, a little bit of sharing. And she said, you know, maybe, maybe we can do a little bit of coaching. Or I was like, I just need, I just need like a little bit of direction. I need a little bit of direction. She was like, all right. And of course I'm like the crazy person. They give me a little bit of homework and I go do it. And I come back. I'm like, okay, I did the homework. I like, I reached out to everybody. This is what they said. This is what I'm learning. Da, da, da. She was like, cause you know, you got to test people before you really work with them, see if they're legit. And so she was like, oh, she did the homework. So, um, so we keep having these conversations and it was just a few, but they were very impactful. And meanwhile, we, we end up hiring Whitney to come in and help do this technology rollout. And she does the whole S-curve um, explanation and, and how we need to be on that path to be able to continue to grow the company. And as individuals, we need to disrupt ourselves. And so anyway, we got this whole thing. It's fantastic. 
And meanwhile, we've just had a couple side conversations. And then she says, you know, Marshall's having this event in New York. You should apply to go work with him. I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, there's no way that I'd ever be considered for that. She was like, I'll help you with, you know, just send your resume. We'll wordsmith it a little bit. And, you know, you've got some experience. I think, you know, you, you, you want to keep learning and doing this work. I was like, yeah, I said, I love it. And, um, so I sent her my, my bio and she was like, all right, well, let's work on this and keep doing what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, perfect. I was like, all right, I'm going to submit it. And, um, she's like, okay, I think you'll be fine. It's like, I don't know any of these people. Like, this is just, I don't know if this is going to work or not. She's like, it'll be fine. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I was like, all right. So I hit submit. I send it in. And, you know, she's one of the original 15. And so in that car ride, she told me she was one of Marshall's um, original 15 um, pay it forward um, MG 15. And so I was like, wow, that's pretty special to be selected to do that and just be able to spend time with her. And I love all of her books and just everything about it. And um, as the story is probably too long. I got an email and they said, you've been selected to come up to New York. We're just going to take about 50 people and um, love for you to come up and join us. And um, I was like, this is pretty exciting. So I booked a flight and decided just to go to New York and take a vacation day from work. You know, good thing about working all the time is you got tons of vacations. So um, I had plenty of vacation days and I decided just to, to book a flight and find a hotel. And it was just a really fantastic trip and experience. And I remember going in the room and I didn't know anybody there. And I still probably don't know, you know, half of those, those people, but just to be able to listen to the conversations, the experiences that were going on, the support, um, the way everybody encouraged each other was, was just a great feeling. And I like the way Marshall taught, um, on that experience and even, going forward. I like the way he teaches. It's fun. It's, um, it's interactive. It's, it's simple. You can apply this stuff. It's practical. And I think the world sometimes likes to overcomplicate things and it doesn't need to be that complicated because first, nobody's going to implement it if it is. And second, it doesn't like, nobody's going to remember any of this stuff. So I love the practical applications. I like the fun that he has with it. I know that I'm I'm, you know, that stuffy banker and I need to have more fun. Um, so to be able to be around, you know, somebody having fun with leadership and with corporate, I was like, this is just the vibe that works for me. And this is where I think I need to be. And so um, just being there and surrounding myself with it was was a gift. And so that was my first experience um, being able to um, listen to Marshall speak and to be in that that same room. And there's been other experiences since and he's consistent every time. So Whitney was the Whitney was the gateway drug to Marshall. What got you here won't get you there was the intro to the material. Um, and you yeah. got to go to New York. When was it that you were in the uh, in the the New York MG 15 at that time? Do you remember what year um, that was? That was. I'm going to say 12 years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago. So 20. What is that? 20. How did this happen? Is it really? 2010, 2012. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, let's move off of years because this is not feeling like a very good conversation. <laughs> Boy, time is moving quickly. It was Ooh. It was at least 10 years ago. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, oh my gosh, where did that go? But yeah, time flies. Sometimes you just got to take a chance and see where it goes. And here we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was trying to think if, if there was any chance that you and I were in the same room at that time. 
Um, but I don't, I don't think that I was, I don't think I was involved in it 10 years ago. Um, but so Whitney, Whitney was the intro. What got you here? Won't get you there. Um, got you in, were you, uh, and then you said that there was a number of people who helped you out. Tell me more about that. Who helped you? How did they help you? Yeah. From, from that event, I don't, it's kind of this gray zone, um, from that event and gosh, at the same time, let's think if we were living in, if we were living in that apartment or that townhouse at the time, then my husband was shutting down a longtime business. Um, we were living at the lake. I was eight months pregnant. No. Yeah. Around that same time, we just had our son who's now 10. William was shutting down a business. I just left that may have been that long ago, um, where we had major life changes going on from shutting down a long time business Sounds to like moving from the lake into town. I bought a house that wasn't for sale. I shut up on a lady's doorstep and knocked on it and told her that I would love the opportunity to look at it. And if she ever wanted to sell, let me know. And being six months pregnant, that helped. So she was like, okay, you can look. And that's a whole nother conversation. So I looked at it and long story short, we ended up buying it. So then wow. we moved into that house at the same time. That's why we were living over in, I think, well, that was part of that kind of that stretch of um, just a lot of change. And I had, was changing some corporate jobs at that time. So that was probably quite some time ago, but um, I digress. So we had a lot of things that are happening. Hence, that's why some of this is a bit of a gray zone of, um, you know, if you, you've got kids, you luckily don't remember the very beginning years of that. Oh yeah. Most people wouldn't repeat it. Um, so, you know, my memory's a little foggy. I remember there were other opportunities of um, going into New York to get trained. I think we got trained by Sally Halverson and Marshall. I went back up there for another opportunity. Sally had a new book that came out called How Women Rise. And I used that as a just another opportunity to, to be able to spend time with them and flew up, you know, take another vacation day from the bank and uh, and flew up and, and got to learn and be in the room with just some amazing, talented people. Whitney was in that room again. And um, after that, I think at that time, Marshall was talking about retiring and, and kind of getting off the road a little bit. And so he had this retirement dinner that night. And because I live so far away, I just booked the flight the next day. And um, some people went out and got dinner. And he said, we're going to go to this jazz club afterwards. And we did that. And he said, my friend Francis is going to be there. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. So Francis will be there. I don't know who Francis is at the time. And he explains who Francis Hasselbeam is. And I'm like, oh, she's fantastic. You know, this sounds fantastic. He's like, she might come out. She might not. She has one glass of champagne and then she, she goes home and um, she'll come out and just kind of listen to some music and she'll have on her, her um, presidential medal um, on her jacket. And um, I was like, oh, this will be, this will be pretty special. And so we go and we have dinner and, um, we, we listen to the music. Then we go and we have, um, this dinner afterwards. And I remember Caroline Santiago was there as well. And I remember they were just like, maybe I still have the picture on my phone, maybe, um, 
eight or 10 of us around this round table. And um, Sarah MacArthur, she was there and Marshall and um, Francis. And it was just the most like memorable dinner experience. And I got to sit next to Francis and just listen. And I got to hear her stories about how to, to, to live is to serve and serve is to live. And, and I just thought, oh, this is so beautiful. And Sarah was telling me she was moving across the country to, to go and support Francis, um, I think in, in the East coast area. And, um, so it was just a great experience. And Francis invited me to come to her fifth Avenue office, um, the next morning and, and be able to see all of her awards on the wall and be able to just kind of experience it a little bit more. I was like, gosh, this is pretty unique. Like, I think I better show up. So I showed up and she was there and she gives us a tour of the office. I was like, this is, it's just unreal. You know, just an, an opportunity opens up and you, you get to show up and, and be a part of it. So um, I just kind of followed the the path and, and saw where it took us. And um, I was sad to hear that she passed and um, it's, Marshall sends out the uh, the Girl Scout cookie um, announcement and just kind of celebrates Francis. And so I was like, oh, I got to get Girl Scout cookies. I mean, Marshall sent this out and Francis is fantastic. Like we need to support this cause. So I get um, a box of cookies, like, you know, a big box of cookies. They all get delivered. And I'm on a Zoom call. I'm totally going to chase this rabbit. So I hope you're okay with it. I'm on the Zoom call and my son comes home at 2.30 and he sends, he gives me this Posty note and this posty note says there's Girl Scout cookies. Can I have one? And so I'm like, well, I'm using these for a presentation for a leadership talk I'm doing. And um, I was like, that's fine. So, you know, he's in there and he's sampling all the different boxes of cookies, not just one cookie, but he's you got them do all it. open. So, yeah. So I come downstairs for my Zoom call and all the boxes have been opened. He sampled them. He's decided which ones he likes best. I was like, OK. I was like, did you at least save me some for the talk that I'm doing? So I did the talk last week. And I was like, you know, we want to, I want to honor Francis and here's some leader cookies from the Girl Scouts. And, um, part of, part of her mission was to continue to, to serve and to service to live. And I told that story and also reminded the leaders in the room that, you know, you can't take care of others without taking care of yourself first. And so that was part of the talk was, um, pivoting and, and just being able to talk about, you know, how are we taking care of ourselves? Cause they were HR professionals and they are just beat down from COVID and everything else. So we talked about that and I handed out Girl Scout cookies and um, in a way that, you know, Frances was able to share her story and Marshall sends out the email about the Girl Scout cookies. And I'm like, well, how can we make this work for an upcoming event? So uh, that's kind of a long story. But um, yeah, so Whitney, Marshall, Frances, um, even before, like as I'm getting familiar with Marshall and, and his his work, Stakeholder Center Coaching, um, I've learned about the coaches. I learned about Chris Coffey. I learned about Frank Wagner and I reach out and begin to talk with them about, you know, how is this process working and how's the training and everything. And they were fantastic. And, um, I could pick up the phone or send them an email at any time and they would help me out. And a lot of the the other coaches, not the, the co-founders with Marshall, like Chris and, and Frank, but I reached out to all these other folks and they were so generous with their time, you know, much like you, I showed up with my list of questions and I wanted to, to make sure this was a good fit for me before I fully invested in 
the stakeholders that are coaching for teams and individuals. So uh, lots of small tests to create some momentum and some um, positive, you know, experiences along the way. And, you know, as, as we got down to it, I said, I'm just going to get certified in team and in individual coaching and flew up to um, New Jersey and um, got trained by Frank and by Emily and um, the, the whole group that was there. And it was a great experience. And um, I, I enjoyed it and, you know, came home and started implementing. So that's kind of a, yeah. a, a long version of it. So, Well, you've had some very, very <clears throat> surreal experiences that took you from banking up to being certified and even beyond getting certified. You've had quite a career since then. You've you've achieved um, master coach status. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it was like once you graduated from the program to where you are yeah. now. It um it probably is not normal. Uh, what what I ended up doing. So um, <laughs> I got Those certified are the best stories. in. <laughs> this is so not normal. I didn't know any different. I was thinking this is normal, right? I don't know any different. So I get certified in the fall. I can't remember what year. It must have been 2018. And then my husband, meanwhile, is like, are you really going to do this? I was like, yeah, it's going to be great. And so he's like, can you at least take a week off of work and see if you can handle this? I was like, yeah, no problem. So I take a week off in March. And um, I was like, that was the best week of my life. I love this because I was meeting with people and not going into the office, but doing my own thing. And I was like, this is great. I was like, June 30th, that's going to be my, my last day. And June 1st, I'll write in my note. And I love to be able to make sure when I leave a corporate job that there's a lot less paper, a lot less files than when I came in. So I had the whole desk, you know, you just kind of like Shawshank Redemption. You just kind of take a little bit out of a time and you go through the files and you're like, nobody needs this anymore. Like, why is this here? So I got it down to like five easy files with a posting note on each one of exactly what needed to happen. I came in and it was boxes of paper and it was scenarios of all kinds of crazy stuff. And they didn't want to hire me at the time because I didn't fit the mold. So that's another story. So I'm at the end of, of June 30th and I've been, you know, kind of testing the newsletter and stuff like that. And as I'm, as I'm, Getting into this, one of my old CEOs, my, my CEOs that I worked with at the bank, he reached out. He's like, I don't know if you can help me, but can we talk? Because we always would talk and I would always talk or listen to all my CEOs. And they're like, can you just listen? I was like, sure. So we get on the phone and I remember sitting there in a parking lot, just kind of listening to him talk. I, said, I think I can help. He was like, all right, we'll put together a plan. I said, okay, I will. So I put together a plan. It was a team coaching event. And we ended up doing for doing it for six months. He had sixteen leaders, um, which, you know, I heard that's not normal to take sixteen on in the first go round, and that I needed to have multiple coaches. I didn't know that until after the fact. So I was like, I can do this. I mean, I'm used to flipping houses and traveling sixty percent of the time, and my husband, you know, he's starting and and stopping all kinds of businesses. And what's you know what's sixteen? What's ten? What's 57. I don't know the difference. So, um, and we end up putting together a program that fits his needs. Um, he said, I got all these great high potential people and I just, I need to take them to the next level, basically boiled down to executive presence. How do we just get their executive presence there? I was like, all right, we can do this. And so we had a team goal and they each had an individual goal, put together a program. I flew out to Kentucky, kicked it off in January, COVID hit in February. 
Um, so we pivoted again. And um, a lot of this, all this coaching was done through uh, phone calls and Zoom calls. And within 90 days, we measured success with a mini survey just so they could gauge it. All of them within 90 days received improvement according to the mini survey that um, Frank was able to help me, you know, get all 16 of those things out. And then at the end of the six months, we measured again and they again came back um, with measured improvements. So I was like, this is pretty exciting. There's process in, in the beginning, you know, when you're starting out, you got to create your own processes. You got to create your own for me. Like I just had to create what I knew I needed for this engagement. And then after you go through it once or twice, you can leverage all those materials that I had to keep telling myself, you got to build it at least once and test it and see if it works and know that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of hours on the front end, but if you can just stick with it, there's going to be benefit in the long run. So um, the foundation of that book is something that I still use for the onboarding piece and working with them was fantastic. And gosh, we had so many personalities from compliance, trying to work with marketing and marketing and compliance have two different goals in this world, <laughs> which is fun. And then we had some folks that were um, in the credit area. We had folks that were brand new to the company. They were only there for four weeks and they got thrown into this. We had folks that had been in with this company for a number of years. And then halfway through COVID, half of this leadership team, for one reason or another, just didn't come back because somebody had to go take care of mom somewhere, COVID, wow. you know, just the stress of it. So the CEO is like, what am I going to do? Like half of these, my leaders are gone. And it was a young team. He said that he was really glad to use stakeholder center coaching because it really lifted up the bench strength within the organization because people were having conversations with each other and he could see who the leaders were going to be for this next, this next play in that career. So, um, it, it was a win-win, I think, for everybody. And I loved I loved being able to, to be a sounding board to these folks and um, just to be able to cheer them on as they, they created their own success in, in their environments. You know, something I, I very much appreciate about you and also that comes through in your stories, Catherine, is you're a very directional person where a lot of the literature says, make your goals very clear, very smart, have very exact beginning and end points, it seems more like you pick a general direction and then throw yourself entirely into it. We'll figure out what it looks like when we get there, but we know that it's going to be progressive. Would you say that's a fair way to describe your, your methods? I have a base uh, foundation of what I know we need to do. And I also mm -hmm. know from my years in sales that we're going to have to tailor stuff in order for it to stick stronger with people. And if we need to tailor the language, we need to tailor the process a little bit. So it's going to be more effective. Then that's the, the process that I'm going to lean on. And sometimes we just have to get started. And when we get stuck in analysis paralysis, we never get started and we can never create any kind of change at all. And um, so, yes, I think we got to take the first step and see where it takes us and if we need to adjust from there, then, then that's it. But man, there's so much great opportunity out there. If we just stay stuck and never take that first step, we're going to miss out. Yes, very true. And I, I would take a minute to encourage all of our coaches that if you don't have a, an explicit goal, that's okay. It's, it's probably, or at least from my perspective, and I think that that's borne out as well 
Catherine, from your story is that momentum is much more important than uh, momentum and direction is much more important than the finish line. Um, you know, I, I can't think of the last time I had a finish line in my mind, but I'm always going uh, and we kind of figure things out along the way. So if you're that kind of coach, you know, more power to you. The literature and empirical evidence is generally against us uh, in terms of choosing that as a an operational method. But um, for those of us who can hack that system, it works really well. So, Catherine, let's get some quick stats uh, on the record um, to kind of contextualize some of what we're talking about. Um, how many years have you been formally coaching? Outside of corporate, I am heading into my fourth year. Four years. Okay. And how many... Um, clients in a formal capacity have you worked with one-on-one uh, -on -one over the years? And rough numbers are fine. Yeah, I would, I know that I've had 56 positive mini surveys. So if we divide that by two, so probably 23 um, of those over the past few years. Beautiful. Yeah. And again, to contextualize that for our listeners, um, reaching the master coach level generally requires about 12. So numbers like 23 in this short period of time is something that we should all gasp at because it's very impressive. It's a big achievement, something worth um, worth celebrating. So, um, you know, when uh, when you had this inspiration to move towards coaching, you're at the tail end of your um, corporate career you start gearing your family up so that you can move out and so that you can move towards start doing um, this entrepreneurial uh, type of thing that your husband also had been doing. From your perspective as a coach, did you find entrepreneurialism uh, as an attractor about being a coach or more as an inconvenience getting in the way of being a coach? No, I think it's a gift. Um, I like the the creativity that comes with it, the solutions, the problems and solutions that come with it. Um, it's, um, an opportunity to create. And so many times I was in corporate, we had to create solutions. We had to create new departments. We had to create growth. And, um, for me, it, it just felt like, felt like a good fit for me and, and where I was at the time. Yeah. Much of what you did was kind of intrapreneurialism, do it being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. internally with the backing of a, a strong budget and internal competencies. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes. For the, um, for the longest time I had a 12 year stretch and probably every 18 to 24 months, there was a new opportunity, a new promotion, a new, um, piece of growth that, that came with that role. And, um, with that was just, they just let me free. And as long as we kept growing and everything was responsible and, and moving in the right direction, they, they let me run and it was fantastic. And so I had a good 12 years of, of being able to help grow that business and create winning proposals and be able to teach other people how to do that, put together sales and negotiation programs to really, we had 42 brands. And so we had two people at each um, bank that would come to us. So they had a primary and a secondary and they would come to us and ask for help with business development proposals on that deposit side. And um, so if you're trying to manage 84 personalities of how to do this all correctly, um, you learn how to create influence without direct, um, without direct reporting, which is tricky, which we see more, I see more and more of today 
which is, you know, they don't work for me directly, but how am I going to get them to do, how am I going to get them to help me? And so spending 12 years of, of building those kind of relationships and testing ideas and failing and being able to pay it forward and help other folks is kind of that gift with, with the coaching aspect of it. So, um, yeah, just problem solving. And, um, even at the, the last bank that I was at, we, I asked if I could help, um, bring in their first new customer in over 20 years. So if you want to talk about, you know, just that political landscape internally and externally of what's going on and how do you bring somebody in and the systems haven't been opened in 20 years and the processes that are associated with it, um, you, you got to think creatively on how to get through it. And you really have to listen to what they're saying and boil it down to like, what's the minimum that we can do and how can we get through this efficiently and effectively um, without wasting a lot of time. And, you know, that aligns with stakeholder center coaching. You know, they're very efficient methods and processes that get results if we have the courage and the discipline and humility to, to execute. So I see a lot of similarities there. So it was easy for me to bridge bridge that and kind of test the waters with this coaching. You talked a little bit about uh, trial and error through growth through failure. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. You know, can you think of a time that maybe a project or, or an engagement didn't quite go as as planned? Yeah, um, I mean, I've got a few that that come to mind. Um, I'm trying to think what would be <laughs> the most helpful. Um, I've had conversations that that didn't go as planned and just kind of learning from, you know, meeting in, in neutral places and, and really being concerned about how does this conversation make the other person feel? And if I was in that other person's shoes, you know, how would I, how would I want to navigate that? And, um, just kind of working through being in the other person and having some, some empathy for, for delivering some hard conversations. And then, um, you know, just even recently I, I got into a, a contract and thought it was going to be a, a, a great experience and it just, it, it didn't pan out like I wanted it to. And so really holding myself accountable and also holding the other party accountable and for me to have the courage to speak up and say, Hey, I know that this is a long-term engagement. And as I'm in here, I gave it a good solid 90 days. I tried as hard as I could and it's just not reconciling. And I respect everything you're doing, but this is just not a good use of either one of our times. And, um, you know, being able to have the courage and, you know, you, you lose a couple nights sleep trying to process, how do you articulate it? But when you really dial into the feelings and the emotions that are going on in the inside of the body, and you know that this isn't reconciling anymore, um, and you know that it's, it's really a better use of your time to cut it loose. Um, you just, you learn to work through that to be able to articulate it. So, um, you know, lots of different experiences. I think it all boils down to communication mm -hmm. and effectively communicating and really streamlining the message to create that impact and not getting bogged down in too many details when the hard conversations are taking place. Uh, what other hard lessons, What other, or maybe what other lessons have you had to learn uh, the hard way that you could share insights on Hopefully, you know, the goal in this question is that coaches listening to this don't make the same mistakes, but they do get the learning from it. So what lessons did you have to learn the hard way and what insights could you share with the listeners so that they don't have to repeat that? Yeah, I think um, asking for help 
is hard because we feel like we have to be able to do this all. And testing it really small, testing it with even just getting the babysitter to start sending some of these emails that you just don't have time to do anymore and start thinking through, you know, how do I make it even easier for that person and ask them questions? And how do you want to receive this information? Do you want me to do a voice to text? Do you want me to shoot just a Zoom video and you can just pull out extracts? But then also coming back and coaching these these folks um, that this is the goal. I'm looking for a short, you know, a clean document. And can you convert, you know, this language that, that I have in here and, and be able to do that. So giving them a little bit of guidance, letting them run with it, because if they can do it at 80% of my 100%, we're still going to be better off because I can use hundred percent of my time somewhere else. Um, and Love that. it is hard because I'm, a recovering perfectionist and I really want it, you know, just going through all these proposals over the years, I had to just let it go and just let people be able to deliver it and know that they did the best they could. And I trained them the best I could and we just got to let it go. And so a lot of times working with some of my coaching clients, I'm like, I feel your pain. I know that you can do it faster. I know that you can do it better, but they want the challenge. They want this opportunity just like you were in their shoes. So how do we, um, how do we give it to them and, and help them be successful? Yeah. It's going to take more of our time to, to set them up for success, but in the long term, it allows us to do so much more. And, um, I think one of those, those first learning lessons was what can you get off of your desk and what can you outsource and how do you get it documented? So it's not you having to document everything. How do you get somebody else to start documenting and create those job descriptions? So then you can even easierly or easier um, be able to push it out and delegate to other people um, down the road. Because all you're going to do is just keep building and building. And then what you were doing, you're going to want to even push that back out. So we're just adding more responsibilities to these other folks who want to keep growing. And, um, you know, I, I love the the lady that supports me. She's fantastic. And, you know, just started out with, I thought, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Five hours a week. But I was like, five hours a week of my time for me to be able to go do something else. And I don't have to do the stuff that I don't want to do. So it goes from five hours to seven hours to 12 hours to, you know, whatever it needs to be. And sometimes it ramps up or ramps down. And also letting them get the work done whenever they want to get it done. You know, you, you set very clear um, expectations of, I need this done by X date and X time. And if you can't get to it by then, that's totally fine. But I just need to know ahead of time. Otherwise I'll jump in there and fix it. So a lot of times, you know, I found a, a group of, of working moms, they've got young kids. They don't want to go back into the workforce, but the kids go down at night and they can, they can send the messages and they can, you know, work on workbooks. They can like, wordsmith this stuff for me and work on the graphics and all that stuff I, I enjoy doing, but I just don't have the time anymore to do it. And, um, it's funny. I've, I've got this great lady. She dials in at 10 o'clock at night and, and, you know, gets all the stuff done because the kids are in bed and she's like, this is great. I can be with my kids during the day. I can support you and, and then, um, you know, start the day all over again. So we've, we've got a process in place and I'm sure there's room for improvement. I had another lady that helped me book podcast and she was doing it two and three in the morning. I'm like, I hope you're okay. I mean, it's two in the morning. She said, no, the baby's up. I can't do anything. So I'll just send the messages out now. And I was like, okay. I mean, as long, I mean, I do not want to cause stress in your life if you're up at two and three in the morning. She's like, no, I cannot do anything. This is perfect. 
I was like, okay. So just understanding where they are and what they want to do, but really just letting go. And that's not my ideal time for sending it, but it was getting done. And she could book, she booked me on 25 shows in six months. And I was like, that was the goal. I just need to get on some shows and share my story. And she helped me do it. But really knowing you got to let go almost from day one, what can you let go so you can create space for what you do want? That is a, an absolute masterclass on building a coach practice. If you're listening to this on your commute, if you are tuning in at the gym, whatever you're doing, rewind the tape 10 minutes from right now, starting where she's talking about uh, having someone do a process 80% as, as well as you could have and let go of the 20%, let them figure that out, let them do it on their own. This is this is true wisdom. And I we've had so many requests, Catherine, from our coaches. Uh, we just recently did a large round of feed forward with all of from all of our coaches about the community. And a very big question that continuously come up is how do I develop my coach practice? How do I buy more hours? How do I, how do I, how do I? And you've just, I mean, quite literally answered 60 plus percent of them in one fell swoop. So thank you for that. Um, wow. I, I think I, I have a feeling you and I approach business quite similarly. So I'm seeing some very interesting threads I'd love to uh, tug on later. Um, but I think that um, I'd love to ask this question. Uh, I haven't asked it before, but the question is, what is the most expensive lesson you've had to learn as a business owner? And I ask this because part of the the idea of developing a business also, you know, has implications on cash flow for coaches. And when you're just starting out and you don't even have clients, you don't know how to, it can be challenging. So for you, what has been one of the most expensive lessons you've had to learn as a business owner, as an entrepreneur? All right. I have exposure to a lot of businesses because of um, where I live and who I've married. And I would say the best lesson has been know when you need to get out. Mm. What is, how much money are you going to spend? How much time are you going to spend and know how, how the end is going to play out? So I know nobody wants to talk about it, but we get so excited about getting into something. And I, I've asked my husband this numerous times. I'm like, how much more money are you going to put into this? And he, and these are hard conversations because this is our money going into what he's doing. And, and uh, I said, you know, how much more are we going to do before we just we're cutting losses and we're moving on? And I remember going on a walk with them and same thing with the coaching. Like I'm, I'm going through these numbers with them and I'm just talking and he said, okay, what's the number? How much more are you going to put into it before you, you got to cut it off? And, um, he said, I don't care if it's an, if it's money, financial number, years, fin number, we, you have always asked me when is enough enough. I need to know from you, Catherine, when is enough enough, enough money, enough time, whatever it is. And, um, and then I take it one step further with him. How are we going to unravel whatever it is that we're into? So go ahead and, and talk about the end in the beginning and know how, what's the end goal? Like if you build this thing, what are you going to do with it at the end of the day? Does your kid want to take it? No. So like, do you have a good network of other people that can support you and collaborate with you? 
because you built up these amazing clients. So you don't want to leave them hanging. Do you have a backup plan to be able to support them? Um, so know that the end is in mind, but also know that is there a dollar or is there a date that you have that you're working towards where enough is enough and it's been fun, but we got to figure something else out. I definitely recommend everybody and on the heels of what you've just shared, check out, um, I'm actually just going to type this in to double check the URL, effectuation.org. Um, a lot of what we're talking about here, understanding your, um, you know, what are your affordable losses? What can you actually do with what's in, in the palm of your hand right now? What's the minimum that's capable? There's uh, a, a huge realm of academia around what's called effectuation, which is the, uh, let's call it the empirical side of entrepreneurialism. And there's six or so pillars. Um, and it goes deeply into a lot of these, these approaches that we're discussing. So if you really want to know more um, from a very clearly defined standpoint, I recommend checking out effectuation.org. It's the word E-F-F-E-C-T-U-A-T-I-O-N dot, dot org. Anyway, I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, Catherine, I think that it's fair to say that uh, every, every successful coach has a bit of a, of a mess or two in the rear view mirror um, and in, in dealing with uh, in dealing with it, you know, I, I greatly appreciate Marshall's um, I Watt question from Triggers. For those of you who aren't familiar, it insists upon the self-reflective question of, am I willing at this time, I Watt, am I willing at this time to make a positive difference in this area? Um, but I, I equally appreciate, uh, I think it was the, the famous tennis star, uh, Serena Williams, who phrased it a little differently um, but her, she has a very no BS take um, on managing failures. She says something to the effect of, uh, I decide that I can't pay a person to rewind time, so I may as well get over it. Uh, and I think this is true for coaches, to not get hung up on the past, to work towards that better tomorrow. Um, so with this, these expensive lessons in our background, let's look at some of the big wins that you have had in your career starting with the the achievements that evoke that warm, cozy, fuzzy feeling. So when you think about your career, Catherine, what what is something that you are particularly proud of uh, achieving or enacting as a coach? I'd love to be able to see the results that they accomplish, the leaders are able to accomplish at, at the end. I like the... Um, what they're going to do going forward, that last question of the, of the after action assessment of what are you going to do as a result of all this? And so many times they come back and they say, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep having these conversations with my stakeholders. And, um, it's, as Marshall taught many times that I listened to, you know, this is not something that you're just going to take a class and you're going to be done with it. It's going to be something that, that continues to carry on forever. If you, if you've got the courage to keep asking those questions and what folks are finding out is the stories they're telling themselves in their head, they don't need to be doing any of that extra work. If they have these conversations with their stakeholders and follow the ask, listen, thank process, um, they can receive great feedback. They can gain wonderful efficiencies in the day and they can find out what's really truly important to the other person. And then by doing that follow-up process, um, they're able to change that perception of how they're being seen in the workplace. And a lot of times people are looking 
more than anything to change their perception and perceptions are, are very hard to change. And using Marshall Stakeholder Center Coaching allows people to create that next version of them that they want to create, that they want to be recognized for, and really getting down to the basics, um, the core of it, the ask, listen, thank, and then following back up um, is, is just a great way to be able to do that. And so being able to take this successful, proven framework and process and to be able to teach it to other people and to see them embrace it and be able to implement it and then want it to continue to live on. And then they can't wait for their next leader that that's, you know, around them. Um, cause they'll test it with just a few people in the beginning and they're like, Oh, we got a list of people now for you. So then they come back and they want more people to go through it. And, um, it's pretty exciting to be able to see the results that they're able to, to, to get, um, as recognized by their stakeholders. And then it's also exciting to see them cheer on the next leader as they come in and begin to learn about it. What have you discovered about yourself while you have been helping others? What have you learned about yourself while, while doing coaching and helping others achieve this measurable change? I can't help everybody. Um, I can't fix everything. And I believe in probably everybody. I see opportunity everywhere and I want to help and I want to cheer them on and I want to believe in them and I want to inspire them to be able to do more or to be able to accomplish their goal. But truly it's up to them and what they decide they want to do. And I have to be okay with the decision that they make. And if they are totally comfortable with where they are, we got to meet them where they are and just let them be and stretch them to the point that they're comfortable with and know that that is, that's where they need to be at the time and being okay. That that's the response that that's success for them or that's success for that engagement, or there is no success for that engagement. And we're just going to walk away because that was not, not going to be, you know, the best use of time. So, mm -hmm. uh, knowing, knowing when to stop again, knowing mm -hmm. that, you know, it's okay. Well, with your strong background in finance and your continuously demonstrable skills and stopping the things that aren't going to take you anywhere and investing in the things that will, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious what unique skills you've acquired. And I'm asking this kind of from the client perspective, if I'm hiring a coach, uh, I've got scores of options. What additional subject matter expertise does Catherine Canty have? Or what is your coaching superpower that would have a client hire you over any other option? I've asked my, my current clients and past clients, you know, what, why did you pick me? Um, just because I'm curious, like, what are they thinking? And, um, what they have shared with me is they can have these leaders, sponsors, they can have short conversations with me and we can, I can extract what it is that they're trying to accomplish. So I don't take a lot of their time as the sponsor of the event, um, to be able to extract and be able to create a plan and to be able to come back and to be able to say, this is how we're going to execute it. And this is the roadmap. Um, I've had, um, HR professionals say, you know, as far as just being timely and responsive and just the stuff that you think is pretty basic. Um, they're like, I can't find anybody who just shows up every single time. Like they say, they're going to do it. You follow up your answer emails within 24 hours. Like you just, you click like clockwork and we get through it. We get the mini survey, we get the results. We do the mini survey, we get the results. You show up, the clients are doing the work, they're getting the results. And 
I think it sounds pretty like that's the way the world should work. And they said that the world doesn't always work that way. Um, they've also shared that I'm able to really tailor it. They've hired other people to come in and, and try to address the same thing. But I really like to capture what the leader is going through, where they learn, how they learn. I like to be able to tailor it to fit their needs um, so they can be more responsive. And then I think probably one of my favorite responses, and I had to dig into this a little bit, is um, they just said, you read between the lines. Mm. I said, can you tell me more about that? And they said, you hear what they're not saying and you go there and, and you just kind of begin to explore those conversations. You can read between the lines of what is being said and what's not being said. And you're comfortable with being able to explore some of that stuff that maybe they don't know is on the table. So then we can accelerate through and create that growth a little bit quicker. Wow. So if I'm, <clears throat> so I, as a client, I, I understand, okay, here's the value that Catherine brings. Um, it's, it's undeniable. It's, it's empirically grounded with your mini surveys. Um, how would I know if I'm the right client that's going to attract you as a coach? You know, imagine I'm a listener. Uh, I discover Catherine through this podcast and I think, you know, I, I think she might be the coach for me. How would I identify whether or not I am a potentially good client for you? I like to be able to, to have conversations on Zoom or, or through the phone and just be able to have a dialogue and be able to feel what that energy is like between the two of us. I know that's not any kind of scientific um, example, but if we can get on the phone and I can listen, I can hear the intensity of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I can ask some some questions around, you know, how important is this to you? How, how quickly do you want to resolve for it? Um, I can hear whether or not they're motivated to actually really do something or if they're just kind of talking. And um, I think that's just years of, of sitting with clients over the years. You, we have a lot of people who want to sit and talk and we have a few people that actually want to step up and do something. And um, you, I, I guess I've had enough of the conversations. I can hear it. And if it feels like it's a good fit and the chemistry is there, then let's explore the next step and let's, um, let's see what, what the next step is. And the next step may be, you know, maybe they just want to have a, a one-time workshop. Maybe they want to be able to do more coaching engagements. Um, I had somebody that reached out to me. We knew each other and he was just curious. He was like, I don't, I've not worked with you. I have not had success in the past hiring somebody else to come in and do this. So I'm not even sure if this is going to work, but I know what your track record is. Can we experiment with a few workshops and then go from there? And I was like, yes, like that allows us to date before we get married. And sometimes we just need to do that before we just jump full blown into, you know, a 12 month engagement of, of stakeholder center coaching. So um, being able to have that conversation, being able to see if the chemistry is there, being able to ask the questions, I can hear what the answers are and whether or not you really do want to solve it. Um, and, you know, there may be maybe some homework in there of, you know, what what's important to you and what do you want to improve upon and what's your timeline for success and be able to reflect on these questions and, and be able to come back. Um, same thing you know, share with me an example of where you show courage and humility and discipline. And if they don't have any examples and we've got bigger fish to fry, we got, you know, we got to, got to go to a different avenue. So, um, I definitely be able to have that conversation and, um, to be, be able to see if we can connect on the phone and through conversation and, and asking the right questions. 
Do you have any demographic uh, parameters or, or sweet spots in terms of, you know, behaviors a leader is working on or an organizational challenge, a particular industry, seniority, business size, anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, with banking, what I have found is it allowed me to go into any kind of industry. So um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, there was just every industry was was open to me, whether um, it was technology or whether it was a medical or um, just you name whatever the industry was, they had to have checking accounts. And so it, it got me in to these pretty large organizations and every organization that I went into, no matter where it was in the U.S., they all had people. And these people were not always talking to each other. And for us to be able to create the change that they needed, just on the account side of things, we had to get people talking. And same thing in the operations center. We had to get people talking who didn't want to talk. And for some reason or another, the silos were built. And I spent a lot of time breaking down the silos and getting people talking. And um, because of that, because there's a human factor that's in there every time with coaching, it's it's consistent everywhere. And you begin to see themes. Like, I feel like we go through cycles through coaching. Like sometimes it's just a lot of, oh my God, we need to get that executive presence up. Um, it could be these folks, I don't know what to do with their time all day, but it's it's gone. And they have got to figure it out and um, I might shoot them if they cannot figure out how to work their calendar and time management and everything else. So I'm like, all right, work on time management. And like we go through these weird little cycles. I did a um, presentation not long ago on how do we turn failure into success? It was like a game changer for this room. They showed up and people were talking. They wouldn't talk in the beginning, of course, but by the end of it, they were just talking about one failure after another and like big failures. And, wow. um, they start talking about it and it just created this bond in the room of, um, of I'm not alone. I can talk about this. I'm taking chances. My boss isn't going to be mad at me because he's already made these mistakes and I'm learning from other people's mistakes. And so, um, we're just able to, if it, if there's humans involved and they're willing to create that change, um, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity to just explore and see where we can take it. Um, I think who we are at, at work is the same person that, that we are at home. And, you know, for the longest time I kept my world separate. It was Catherine Canty at work and Katie Canty at home. And when I got married, I, I thought Katie Canty sounded like a, a ding dong and I can't go call on these hundred million dollar, you know, global companies and talk about large amounts of cash and roll in there at 24 with the name of Katie Canny. So I, I went back to my given name, which is Catherine. And so, you know, we begin to, I, I kept everything so siloed. And then I realized towards the end of my banking career, what if I bring some of these cool ideas home to my hometown? And again, there's people at the hometown, there's people that, that I'm learning from in corporate. And so we had an experience. I went to a lunch and learn again, just go somewhere and learn something new. And I learned about vertical assets and I learned about um, broadband in rural communities. And I spoke to the speaker much like I did with Whitney, you know, I'm like, Oh, she's fantastic. I need to know her. And this gentleman, um, Jim Stritzinger, who's, who's leading the state of South Carolina's broadband initiative. He was speaking at this event 
And I was like, oh, we, we need your help. I, now that I understand what a vertical asset is, um, we have broadband issues in my community. And so we stayed in touch much like I did with Whitney and um, we stayed in touch and he shared with me, did you know that, um, that there's some federal funding that's available to help close the broadband gap? And I said, no, I don't know about this. And so just out of that curiosity, um, we ended up meeting with a bunch of government officials, same type process that we use in corporate. Let's bring all these personalities together. Everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own background and um, everybody has the right way of doing things. And I've asked a very simple question. Do we need reliable broadband for our future of this community? And they said, yes, they all chipped in for the mapping. We, I cold called on a telecommunication company and I said, you don't know me, but I got a provider friendly community and we want to go after this money to help close the broadband gap in our community. They said, all right, let's give it a shot. They um, hire some contractors, submit the RFP. We end up getting a $12.1 million public and private partnership um, to come into this community and help close the broadband gap. They put 256 miles of fiber into the ground. Um, this is happening all over the country now. Um, just like 100 years ago, we had electricity that was going out into the country. Now we've got broadband going out into the country. But my point is we've got all kinds of people doing all kinds of cool stuff. Um, we're learning about it. And if we can bring all these people together who don't have a lot of stuff in common, and it could be within an organization, it could be within your community, but we bring them together and we find ways to get everybody to start talking and working together for that common goal at the end. Um, we create small steps of success, much like stakeholder center coaching. We create this su success along the way that makes them want to show back up and continue with the momentum and continue with the win. Um, it, it makes it a lot of fun. So I know that's a long answer. You asked, you know, who's my ideal client and, and what do they look like? And there are people that are willing to step up and, and have that ability to want to create change. And we're not sure how we're going to get there, but we're going to take small steps to figure it out. And I think Stakeholder Center Coaching does a great job of, of helping people accomplish that recognition that they need to create that end result. You know, I'd love to take a minute to to plug the Business Vitality podcast. Is Are these stories and this wisdom, is this things that you talk about on the podcast? Is this something people can get more of through subscribing to that? Yes. So um, the Business Vitality podcast, I've, I think this will be my third year of recording calls um, out there. And my goal with that, Business Vitality is my definition of just 23 years of banking all this leadership um, development that I've learned along the way and being able to pull it together to be able to um, leverage that language between operations and sales and the boardroom and bring it together. And like, what are the business best practices that everybody keeps celebrating that allow businesses to be successful month after month, year after year, decade after decade? Because when we boil it back down, there's these really strong fundamentals that people are doing in business that are allowing businesses to succeed and people to succeed. I think stakeholder center coaching, again, is just a prime example of success that businesses implement to create strong leadership in their organizations. It's been proven for four decades, and I'm sure even before then, they probably based it off of something else that was proven before that. So Business vitality is all about, let's just get down to the core practical applications that are allowing people and organizations to create success. And working with a lot of business owners over the years, 
um, they have wonderful success stories. They've got highs, they've got lows. And what I have found is if we can celebrate their highs and their lows and what they're learning and what they're, what they're able to, you know, take away from as a result and be able to pay it forward to others, you know, it, it's, it's a great way to celebrate them. And it's a great way to pay it forward to others who may be in similar shoes to help them and maybe avoid some of those mistakes. So on the Business Vitality podcast, I interview CEOs and senior leaders, and we just talk about what's working, what's not working, um, what are they learning, and um, what are some of the business best practices that they're seeing. And, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but I, I keep those calls down to about 20 minutes because in my mind, I'd, I would have 20 minute commutes. And I thought, you know, if we can just get people in the car, listen for 20 minutes, just short and sweet and simple. Um, that was my goal with that. And um, it's it's been fun connecting with people all around the world, listening to uh, what they're doing to create success. Catherine, you are such an exemplar of the ethos that we want to create within the community, your perspective, the, the your take on things, the way that you process um, your experiences. Thank you so much for sharing that. If I wanted to subscribe to the podcast, where would I go? We are at Spotify is, is the easiest. Apple's easiest. We put them on all the major um, uh, platforms that are out there. You can also go to my website, katherinecanty.com. It's with a C. Um, and you'll be able to see the podcast at the very bottom of the of the page as well. Perfect. And we'll link that in the uh, in the show notes. I've got queued up here uh, for our listeners at home, episode 149 with Min Lee. Am I saying that correctly? Min Lee? Yes. Yes. You want me to share All a right. little bit about Good. it? Good. Well, I, I will be, that was on March 6th when that came out. So if we run into each other, any of you out there listening, and want to touch bases on the podcast, I will have 149 under my belt by the end of the day. Um, so Catherine, as we uh, pivot into the, the final segment of the show, um, I'll bring another, another wonderful quote into the foreground uh, that I think applies squarely to you and certainly uh, has applied uh, in this interview so far, um, is if your actions create a legacy that inspires others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, and to become more, then you are an excellent leader. And this comes from the uh, highly accomplished Dolly Parton, and I would say that that certainly applies to you. And the reason I bring this up here is that nearly all of my guests recommended you on the show. Um, so with that, Catherine, I think it's fair to say you've had quite a positive impact inspiring others to be more. Um, and now I'd like to spread that message far in this podcast by providing some targeted advice for our listeners. So Catherine, if I were to knock on your door today um, as a fairly new aspiring coach, um, you are my Whitney Johnson. And I ask you for uh, a few of your top bits of advice. What would you tell me? I could never be as great as Whitney. So let's, we'll bring it back a little. Um, let's see. Um, you know, go for it. Trust your gut. And if you've gotten here, you have an amazing network of people who want to continue to cheer you on. And if you've been attracted to this work, you want to keep paying it forward. And there's people that have helped you and to lean on your network and know that they're here to help you just as much as you've helped them along the way. And uh, trust, your, trust your gut and go for it. How about if I reached out to you as, uh, let's say I am the VP of a large organization, 
uh, and I'm, I'm asking for myself, how do I become a better leader? What, what two or three suggestions might you have for me? I love the ask, listen, thank process. I think it's easy and it's fun. And if they're not familiar with it, you know, if you're looking to become a, a stronger leader, um, then be able to simplify that question and say, and, and identify a few people on your team. I want to get better at my leadership or maybe how I'm holding a meeting. So figure out what it is you want to get better at. Um, and just ask the question, what are one or two things I can do going forward to be a better leader for this team? And listen to what they have to say. Don't argue. Don't rebuttal. Don't, you know, shut them down because the third or fourth idea might be really good and you maybe didn't know about it. And just simply say thank you. And much like with the uh, group that I spoke with last week, I, they asked, you know, how do you um, maybe diffuse some some hard conversations in the office of people that are maybe not having the healthiest conversations? And I whispered and I told them Marshall's secret that he told us. He said, you know, if, if you want to just kind of diffuse some some negative energy in the office, and I've tried this myself, so I know it works. Um, you just simply tell them, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And everybody in there just wrote it down. And so this whole ask, listen, and thank, and make sure you say thank you, whether it's to diffuse maybe a negative vibe that's going on, or just to say thank you at the end of being able to provide some, some better feedback on how to be a better leader. Um, I think it's just really important to say thank you. And if you can't say thank you, write them a note, an old school handwritten note, just to say thank you. That's such a rarity these days, right? It, it used to be mm -hmm. <clears throat> used to be bothersome when you'd get that in the mail. Now it's such a nice joy to have a handwritten thank you note. Um, yes. How about if I was an organization? If I'm I'm looking in the long view, Catherine, over the next five years or so, I'd like to start building a coaching culture, or within five years, I'd like this to be our cultural norm. We have no idea how to go about this. Um, where might you recommend? we start. I would love to hear what their goals are. I know I start with everything with, you know, I just want to listen to what, what they have going on and, um, without knowing a lot about it, but have been, been involved with folks that we're starting with, with coaching environments. We tend to start with a test, start with coaching one person, one of the key leaders, let them experience stakeholder center coaching and the methods that, that I bring to the table and see if we can start to build some momentum. So much like everything I've ever done, start small, test small, bring in, you know, just that one person and see if it's a right fit and, and get a feel for working with that personality. You'll get to see insights um, to other folks within the organization through the work of the coaching with that one leader. Um, if they want to go a little bit bigger and test a little bit bigger, you know, let's put a half a dozen people together and, and, and consider doing a team coaching engagement. And, um, we don't have to do full blown 12 month coaching. You know, if you just want to test small and see if it's a right fit for you and see how people are adapting to it, um, we can do that. And what I've also found is effective is it starts at the top. And if the leader at the top of the organization doesn't believe in this work, it's just going to be an uphill battle. And, um, we can go all day long and talk about leadership, but just like I spoke with the lady yesterday, it says your chairman on, of the board, is, is he on, is he good with this idea with coaching? And she said, oh yes, totally. I said, are you good with it? She said, oh yes, totally. Like we've got to make sure that we get the buy-in from the top. And so if you're starting with a culture of creating that coaching engagement and you've never done it before, like does the top buy in and are they willing to walk the walk that goes with it? So um, that's, that's where I would start with that. 
Awesome. Yeah, we did a little bit of talk with on this topic with uh, with Bill Zeeb in episode one and how he makes sure without beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's buy-in from the top. So if you haven't checked that, I definitely recommend it. Um, and just just a fun question here, Catherine, is if I was new to the Business Vitality podcast, which episode should I start with? I think my favorite, because I was just taking notes the whole time, was, um, well, I got a couple favorites. One is Bob Mesta. And funny enough, he and Whitney worked together, and I didn't know that. And I met Bob. He was on stage in Vegas speaking at a sales conference and I loved his message and he spoke after lunch and I heard people in the cafeteria talking about, you've got to go listen to this guy talk. They always put him on after lunch. It's the hardest slot and, but you got to get there early because he's going to fill up the room. So of course I got there, but I didn't get a seat. So I stood in the hallway and listened to this guy speak and I was like, this is fantastic. So I loved it. So I called him. It's another kind of Whitney Johnson story of me calling him and saying, I, I love it to come work in the bank. And he did. And it was fantastic. And um, it, it's a long story. So anyway, I stay in touch with him. He is awesome. I love that podcast. There's another one. Um, uh, Oscar Trimboni. He is in Australia. It's all about listening. And he wants to create 1 million listeners in the world with the work and the framework that he's created. And he shared with us on the podcast that we can speak at 125 words per minute. We can read at 400 and our brains think at 900. So as we are thinking, we can't get all the words out that we're thinking because we're thinking at 900 words a minute, but we can only speak at 125. And so his work is just fantastic. And um, he's got a great book. He makes his work so much fun. He's got a deck of cards that go with it. So um, I did a workshop that included some of the deck of cards just to spur conversations that go along. And um, he makes listening fun. And he says, listening is just as important as speaking. And so um, I think that's another good podcast to listen to. Excellent. For those of you who are going to go and search for this, that is episode 111 and 140, respectively. 140 with Oscar and 111 with Bob. Good. Be sure to check that out. Yeah, please do. I'm going to give you one more, and I've got to plug Tiffany Bova. Um, She is at the beginning of my list. She's got a new book coming out. Um, She was so much fun to have on the podcast talking about the customer experience and the employee experience. Um, she's just a great person to follow online, just constantly learning, constantly paying it forward. And um, I'm excited to read her new book that she has coming out as well. So, um, all right, I made a plug for three. So thank you for making <laughs> making time for me to, to, to get them in there. Oh, perfect. And that is uh, episode 119. Tiffany Bova, change your customer success culture with Tiffany Bova on the Business Vitality podcast with Catherine. Um, Good. Well, I'm going to tee up one last question. We'll go to close and then we'll come to your answer. Uh, In Stakeholder Center Coaching, we have a list of do's and don'ts that we provide to leaders to help them as a guidepost when they are involving their stakeholders. But if we were to make the same list for coaches in developing their career, a do's and don'ts list, what are some of the things that would come on your list? Take a moment to think about it. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are nearing the top of our time together, and I want to invite those of you who are watching at home, listening in the car, tuning in from the gym, if there's a question you would like to ask or a coach you would like to hear interviewed, drop us a line to podcast at mgscc.net. And if you're interested in learning more about the Stakeholder Center Coaching methodology, go to mgscc.net forward slash sample course, all one word, sample course, to get instant access to the course Foundations of Stakeholder Center Coaching, where you can learn the founding principles of our coaching methodology at no cost to you. So Catherine, what would be some of the items on your do's and don'ts list if we provided that to coaches? Yeah, don't do it all. So make sure that, that you find the things that you need to be able to delegate and get that stuff off your desk. Your time is going to be used better just elsewhere. And what you're doing today, much like Marshall wrote in his book, what, what got you here is not going to get you there. And you're going to have to let go of a lot of stuff. And we talked about it before, but let somebody else do it at 80% so you can have that 100% of your time because that is your most important asset right now is your time. And so if you can delegate it out, I think that is extremely important. And um, something to, to do and to be is is to make sure that, that you just remain who you are and know that um, your human aspect that you bring to the table and the conversations and experiences that you bring to the table, you know, that's, that's why people want to work with you as, as the coach and your unique experiences are different than mine. They're different than Brandon's. They're different than Marshall's and the world needs your experiences and they need your stories more than they need somebody who fits in a box. So you be you, you show up, you do you, and you help grow more leaders because there's somebody out there that cannot connect with anything that I'm saying. Um, they may not really, you know, fall in line with some other coaches, but they are waiting and they're dying for your stories and they're waiting for your personality to show up. And only you can create that impact for that potential leader. That's just out there waiting for you to get your certification and waiting for you to uh, create that website and be able to connect with people. So um, I think you be you. And stop doing everything are my, my two biggest pieces of advice. Beautiful. Well, Catherine, it's been wonderful to have you. Before we say goodbye to our listeners, can you tell us one more time, how do we follow you? How do we get in touch with you? How do we learn more about you? Yes, my website is katherinecanty.com. You can find me also on LinkedIn at Catherine Canty. I'm also doing LinkedIn Lives Monday at 1.30 Eastern, and I'll speak about some leadership topics out there at that time as well. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. If I can do anything, let me know. My guest, ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Canty. You can find her on LinkedIn. You can find her at katherinecanty.com. This show is a stakeholder-centered coaching production where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. Join us next week for another episode of Conversations with Coaches.